welcome to the Cigar Cast, your weekly one-stop shop for all things cigar-related, including industry news, reviews, and everything in between. We're recording live from Crown Cigars and Ales here in beautiful Brentwood, Tennessee. I'm the Smoke Master General, Trey Dudman. I'm joined, as I am every week, by Mr. Shane Reeves. Did we fall through a portal and land in a cliché? The shop, the shop, the cigar shop is full of lawyers and judges right now. It's true. It happens happens about once every other month. I I feel like we fell through a portal and landing landed in in a cliche. Yeah, I I feel like if only they're well. Nope, they're about to get sports on on the TV, so we'll be good as long as Fox is on on the other side. We'll be we'll have hit cigar shop cliche bingo. Yes, absolutely. And uh, yeah, football's on tonight. We're recording a day later than usual. So football's on tonight. Yeah, we're we're hitting all the bases. Yeah, and also I almost suggested we record outside because we haven't done that in a while, and the weather's finally turning less hellish. Uh, but I, I think it's fine. I, I'm not hearing it bleed through, so I think no, we'll be all right. I th- I th- and they're they're lawyers; they know how to be succinct. You, although, one would hope. Although, have you noticed when you walk by that side of the room, the temperature drops like 10 degrees? <laughs> <laughs> I've noticed that it's just a little cooler as you pass by. That's funny. <laughs> and all they're, they're generating some sort of a field. Okay, talk about your cigar first because i got a lot to talk about online. All right, so this is a cigar manufacturer that has been popping up in a lot of humidors around lately. I've actually had one before, not this particular one. This is Blackbird. Turn your mic down. It sounds like you're yelling. Oh, yeah, I'm actually getting feedback from you. Okay. Um, let's see here. Did, that, you, did you not see? Did you think I was I didn't making know, I, a pass at you? Yeah, I thought you were telling me to steal second. <laughs> so um, I'll back away a little bit. So uh, you may have seen Blackbird Cigar Company popping up in your humidor. I know I've been seeing them around town a little bit more. I was at the Abbey a number of months ago and someone put one of these in my hand. I didn't really understand what was happening, but he handed it to me. And and that one was the murder, the one that's kind of all crow-related. Right. uh, Or uh, raven-related. I don't know. Anyway, this is the crow. That's what I'm smoking tonight. See, my brain's still not quite where it should be. Yeah, you're still still just a click. Yeah. Um, the reason we're, we're uh, recording a day late is because I wasn't feeling well yesterday. So we're trying to muscle through. So this is going to be one of those cigar ep- c- cigar cast episodes where I look back and go, what was I on? <laughs> um, so this is The Crow. It's a San Andreas wrapper over Habano binder and Nicaraguan, Pennsylvania, Corojo and Criollo 98 filler. It's a lot going on. You know, less is more. And I think sometimes the description of a cigar, they put too much grown in the Jalapa region on the third field from the right, aged on the shady side of the warehouse. Yeah, but, <laughs> but you're fine with that as long as they also tell you who blended it. Well, now, that is important. That's, I don't care where it was grown. I want to know what happened after they picked that cigar. Right. But no, this is, like I said, I've, I've had one of their cigars before, and I liked it. I couldn't really tell you much about it anymore, but I know it was enjoyable. Um, before even cutting it, it's, it's very earthy. Yeah, I was a little crooked. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's very earthy, sort of grass-type notes uh, just on the cold draw, so that's interesting. Um, this is the 6x54 Grand Toro that I'm smoking. Well, the proprietor of this establishment conned me into smoking one of those. I wasn't impressed. Now, he loves them, which should have been my first hint that I wasn't going to like it. 
Yeah, you shouldn't have told me that until after, at the end oh, of the yeah, show. Oh, yeah, I, sh- I shouldn't flavor your, your review. And it does have the shaggy foot, which I don't approve of. And I, or, well, it's not really shaggy so much as it's... I don't mind a shaggy foot. I just don't like a foot where you can't test the draw once you cut it. I don't, I don't usually mind that. Because you can usually get a pretty good idea for what it's going to do. You know, it, it, it's like it, it's like adjusting for windage in your scope. You may not be able to see exactly what what the draw is going to be like, but you can get an idea for what it'll be like when you get down through it. Yeah, you can get a, you can get a, a semi semi relevant. So, speaking of cliches, I walked into the humidor and I said, "I want to try something new on the show today." And I found this. Does this not look like a gas station cigar? It does look like a gas station cigar. It all. It looks exactly. So it's a Chico. It's a from Chico um, LCA cigar. And I'll. And it's got a woman in a bikini holding a cold beer on the band. And not a classy looking chick. This is spring. This is Bay. Tara Reed circa Sharknado. Yeah, yeah. This is this is not a classy chick, but I say and the wapper is generic cigar wrapper color. Boy, I'm selling the heck out of this cigar. You sure right are. <laughs> and, uh, but I picked it because it did not look like a cigar I would enjoy. I said, I want to pick something out of my comfort zone and get surprised. I want to be surprised. And I think that's good because that's something that we don't do just a terribly good job of on this show is that pretty much everything we rate is five and a half or better. So taking the taking the spin of the roll or roll of the dice on something like that, I think is good for the soul every once in a while. I think it should be. I think, but this looks, you know, I was shocked to see this cigar in the humidor. Now, it's um, it's long fillers from the Dominican Republic and the Jalapa region of Nicaragua and Peru bound in a viso leaf from Chico and finished in a hybrid Criollo wrapper. You know, I, it's interesting because Austin usually doesn't like black pepper. That That's a flavor that he and I usually really disagree on when it comes to cigars. And what, you know, he likes spice. He doesn't like pepper. All I'm getting out of this is black pepper, so I'm really surprised that he's hot on this cigar. Well, I really hope I enjoy this cigar. Yeah, I want to. I want to. It's not. I would. I would give you. It's a couple of shades darker than I would say generic cigar color. You know, I think of the Macanudo when I think generic cigar color. But this label would be right at home in a gas station oh, humidor. Absolutely. And all, and I mean, almost, almost like they're. It's almost such a cliche, you know. Uh, Mauro Ranello used to call wrestling, and I always said Ranello is exactly what you would sound like if you were making fun of wrestling announcers. Right. And that may be this. It may be just they're maybe going for two on the nose, but the initial draw ain't bad. I'm getting a little complexity. I'm getting a little depth. I'm getting. Um, I'm getting a classic cigar taste that yeah. Dutch Masters type feel. And all, but I'll be interested to smoke this and really get a vibe for what it's going to be like. Yeah. So, it's all it's it feels autumn, and I love it. I noticed I was I was drinking my coffee this morning, like I do every morning in my office while I was working, and so nothing out of the ordinary, and it felt like fall. The coffee smelled like fall coffee. It just. 
it was weird how it hit me all of a sudden. Yeah, you know, getting up early in the morning and walking the dog and you got that little chill in the air is the best thing ever. I brought I brought a jacket with me just in case for when we sit outside at night because it's turning cool at night again. Right. I, this is this is absolutely my favorite time of year. Never mind the fact that tomorrow's my birthday, but this is just my... I, that is the start of fall to me, and it's my favorite time of year. Awesome. Look, as comes autumn, comes October, and comes the annual... the legendary monster game for the poker crew here at Crown Cigar. And our longtime listeners are familiar with the monster game. My mm-hmm. wife has won three years in a row. She's the queen of the monsters. And I'll, and this year, we're going to be playing for the Tatawahe Monster Match. This is cool. This is a prize worth winning. And did you see the price on this sucker? No. That is absolutely 150 bucks. That for all of that, yeah. So what Tatawahe done has done is they have took an inch and a half off of all of the original releases, put it in a combo pack, and released it as the Monster Mash. And also the Frank, the Drac, the Face, the Wolf, the Mummy, the Jason, so forth and so on, is all in there. That's what twelve cigars, one, two, three, four, fourteen cigars, fourteen cigars, including one a previously unreleased one called the Creature, right. And also, I'm, I've got to be sure when that box gets in here that we have the monster game for that box. It's $150 for that box. I don't know that I I'm... might show up to play poker with you guys for this. I mean, that, that's the kind of thing that would, that would draw me. The, so, of the previously released blends, this is going to be a special Vitola that's an inch and a half shorter than the original. Um, but they're all going to carry the same ring gauge. So, the smallest uh, is a 48. The largest is a 56. Six. So it's kind of in that middle ground ring gauge wise. Yeah, I'm I'm excited. I'm excited for this kit. Now here's my problem. Again, it's it's the the rare cigar thing. Okay, what if it's the best one you ever smoked? Yeah. Then you've got to go on a quest and slay a dragon to get a box of them. Well, but I think that's kind of the thing with the the monster series has always been a standalone in that regard. That yes. They're limited releases, but they're good. But I don't know anybody who's ever been like, man, I wish I could go back in time eight years and get a box of the mummies or whatever it is. Like, they're always really enjoyable in the moment, but they're not the kind of thing I find that most people say, this is the cigar that I want to smoke the rest of my life. True. Yeah, it rarely makes it into the regular rotation. And part of that is the temporary nature of it. If, if Tatawahe released these as a regular release, I would be interested to see which one box is actually sold up. Yeah, I would be too. Especially, I'm, I'm curious though, one of the things that, that you have often said about the Monster series is that they always need to sit for about a year. And so with some of these being old blends, I'm wondering if they will suffer that same fate I mean, obviously, they're being rolled new for this. It's not like they've been, you know, sitting and they just cut an inch and a half off of them and reboxed them. But I'm curious if, you know, how long they've been working on this, if this is something that maybe they won't have that issue. It's going to be, it'll be interesting to find out. Oh, by the way, I forgot when I was doing the introduction to my cigar. I got to double back. And I'll, so this cigar is from the Limited Cigar Association. Yeah. And I'll, that's... Helpfully vague. Milan Tobacconist is a member of that, and I'm looking on Milan Tobacco's website. 
But it's interesting, underneath the Chico that I'm smoking, there's the LCA Plus. Now, check this out. Robot Fumador is brought to you by Mr. Robot, a pseudonym under which a successful blender wishes to remain anonymous tests his blends. <laughs> How good a blender are you that you say, okay, I really want to know if people like this or not, and I want to know if they like it because I blended it or if they like the blend? Yeah. It's got to be Christian Aroa, right? Got to be Aroa. Uh, Willie Herrera, possibly. Willie Herrera getting yeah. around some of these non-competes, something like that. It's got to be a big, big name, but I think that's a cool premise for a cigar. Yeah. And uh, I just I just happened to notice that and had Nick to bring Perdomo. that up. Yeah. It'll be, and I wonder Could if, you imagine if it turned out to be like Nick Ferdome or somebody totally unassuming? Well, if I ever see these in a shop, we'll pick up two and we'll smoke them. And then you and I will write it down somewhere who we thought blended it. And we'll see if it ever comes out who the who Mr. Robot actually that is. That would be fun. I'd be all about that. I, I would like to find that out. I think that would be a very cool thing. But is it not funny? The human animal loves a mystery. Oh, absolutely. Stephen King said it best. You know, it, the closed door is far scarier than seeing what's behind it. You know, and I think there's something... It, it, uh, about the unknown that just captivates the human brain. You know, it's like you with the Bigfoot thing. You know, you've been going down a Bigfoot rabbit hole a lot lately, and I think there's some, you you can believe it, you know, wholeheartedly without a shadow of a doubt in your mind, but there's still that that slight unknown. There's still there's that. There's the sl- appeal. Yeah. The, appeal, the unknown has keep, a certain appeal. Yeah. And, all, and, it's, and what we'll discuss later in the show is about balance. And there's, there is a certain amount of balance that you have to mitigate these desires with. And all. So, all right. So what, what did we decide we were going to name the Crimes Against Cigars segment? And all, I should have looked it up. I should have. We came up with something. Yeah, it was good, too. Yeah. It was a stroke of brilliance on my part, as I remember. But, <laughs> but anyway... Thieves steal $75,000 worth of cigars from the CLE warehouse. Over the weekend, thieves broke into the CLE Cigar Company warehouse in Miami, stealing 74,320 cigars. Okay, the math doesn't add up. It's, they've got, this has got to be a misprint. This is on Half Wheel, and this is Charlie reporting it. But 74,320 cigars does not make sense. I don't think... Would a, would a semi-truck hold 74,000 cigars? Uh, a U-Haul. You think you'd get 74,000 in a U-Haul? Let's see. A box is... I'm going to do the math when we go on to the break. And I'm going to figure out, with packing efficiency, what size of a container you would need to hold that many cigars. Yeah, so average Assuming time. 20 cigar boxes. Assuming 20 in a box, average cigar box is going to be 8 by 10. You know, you can, you can run the math on, on that and kind of see, but... Um, they were mostly stole Asylum brand. Okay. I have to hope that that's just because what that's what was closest to the door that they were loading out of. This stinks of insurance fraud. This this to me smells of insurance fraud, in that the my inner conspiracy conspiracy theorist. Um, so everybody in the cigar business is back ordered now. And everybody in the cigar business is having a hard time getting cigars to the shops. If you happen to be asylum and you happen to have a ton of back orders, $75,000 worth of cigars coming missing, that'd be a pretty 
I mean, you could probably, you know, you, it would lay off a lot. Plus, you get a little insurance payout. You know, phony up a bunch of paperwork. I don't. Because here's my problem: I have trouble believing anybody would break in and steal asylum cigars. Right. <laughs> I yeah, mean, I just I have a really hard time figuring that out. Well, you know, if me and Clooney are ever putting together a crew to t- to pull off a big cigar heist, it's going to be Padron. I, there's no way I would steal Asylum cigars <laughs> and all. It just it's it's kind of like redesigning the penny. It seems pointless, right? <laughs> you know, who's counterfeiting pennies to such a great degree? We need to redesign the penny. <laughs> and all. Um, it's it just something about this whole article. So Chris Christian Eora. Founder of CLE told Halfwell that security cameras recorded three people entering the company. So add that to your equation. Okay. So if they're carrying out seventy-four thousand cigars, but see, I, I, it's got to be. It's thirty-seven hundred boxes. Thirty-seven hundred sixteen boxes. Thirty-seven hundred sixteen boxes. Yeah. Taking up average cigar box is one hundred ninety-two square uh, cubic inches. One hundred ninety-two cubic inches. Yeah. So that times that. So you come up with a, a cubic a, a volume of seven hundred thirteen cubic inches, uh, seven hundred thirteen thousand cubic inches. Okay, and then we'll have to convert that to feet and find out how much the volume of an average U-Haul is. Yeah. So we're looking at. Oh, I forgot to account for converting it to feet. Yeah, you'll have to convert it to feet because the the cubic the. Um, U-Haul it's essentially it's it's essentially seven and a half by seven and a half by seven and a half. So, how many, three guys to carry out that many cigars? I hope they're wearing a back brace. Uh, They're probably, if they're, it's entirely possible they were already on pallets and they just hand trucked them out. Okay. Hijacked a forklift. Yeah. Something something along those lines. But um, very interesting that, that, like I said, this stinks of insurance scam to me. If this came out tomorrow and they said insurance scam, I wouldn't be shocked. I don't know. I think... You know, the asylum has a the asylum line has a very dedicated fan base. I wouldn't put them on the the same wavelength as Drew Estate, for example. But Tatuaje? Well, I'm not. But the thing is, it's the CLE warehouse. Yeah. There's so many better CLEs even than the asylum. Even. In their own, in the same warehouse, there's still better product to be stolen. There is, but I also looking at at the breakdown here. It says that they were most asylum cigars, but I would venture to guess that most of the cigars they have are asylum cigars because that is definitely their biggest line, their their highest seller. So I wonder if it's just a a requisite breakdown commiserate with what their actual inventory percentages look like. Hey, hey Professor Webster, I got a question. Yeah. It says here that one of them they stole was an asylum nyctophilia. What in the world is nyctophilia? We're gonna have to we're gonna have to look that up because if somebody if I was sitting in my doctor's office and he said Shane we've diagnosed you with nyctophilia, I would expect some sort of a high powered antibiotic. No, it's night. So, night. A uh, night lover, lover of the night. Oh, okay. Okay, well, all right. I will, maybe a medium-powered antibiotic then, <laughs> to take care of that problem. Batman would be a nyctophiliac. Oh, okay. 
And I'll hit shoot you of his utility belt if you heard you say that. <laughs> and I'll use need to get off on it. The thing, the number, the number of, ba- of Batman comics I've read, somebody would have called him. The Joker had to call him a nictophiliac at some point. I'm going to go back and read the killing joke now for just that reason. <laughs> and, uh, all right. So real quick, want to talk about sofret.com. And uh, I like these cigar stories that are not necessarily from cigar blogs. And uh, a cigar humidor, the perfect gift for the traveling smoker. Okay, I seen the, the heading this article. I thought, yeah, absolutely. And uh, a nice a nice case, a nice cigar caddy that seals up good and tight. But they're trying to sell an acrylic jar. <laughs> and uh, is that not the worst possible way to transport cigars? Yeah, I think it's so funny to me that they're calling this a a travel humidor. I don't I mean, I guess it's better than glass, but I have a hard time understanding why you would want to choose the, you know, your grandmother's flower container as how you transport your cigars on vacation. Is it maybe some sort of a regulation thing you could look inside and see the cigars? Are Maybe, they, but because this that's is a, giving TSA too much credit. Well, this is a military grade content um, website. So I'm wondering if maybe there's a link here we don't see that when you go to Afghanistan, they have to be able to see, you know, it's kind of like them taking, you taking clear bags into the humidor or something. Maybe. I, I, yeah, but I wonder how much of this stuff from websites like this real is from people that actually serve in the military or the people that just wish they did that yeah there are so many people we see, especially living in this part of the country do we do that we see all those people that are there have have the the backpacks like this and the, the sure and they never served a day in their life but they want everyone to think they did. Oh, they that, would never go so far as to say they did, but they just want you to make that assumption. Is that not the most annoying guy on TV, the guy that's always selling the mil-spec sunglasses yeah. and the flashlight that you can freeze in a glacier and then turn it on or run over of a Humvee? Right. Is that not the most annoying guy on, yeah, on TV? He, he, just so you know, if you were actually in the military, they'd give you the flashlight. You, yeah. don't, you don't need it. If you right. have to buy it... <laughs> And let's face it, mil spec means cheapest supplier, right? Right. Yeah, it means most inflated budget. Yeah, yeah. Rarely is the mil spec quality of stuff the the highest quality. Right. It's just the most expensive. Yeah. So I don't I don't know about that, but okay. So you're working my side of the road on this article. Tell me about yeah, it. Yeah. So I, this is from the Art of Manliness, and I just thought it was uh, interesting. Because the, because this is something that I have thought about a lot lately, and it, the the title of the article is is quite simply is the necktie obsolete, and I was thinking about this because I th- I've been thinking for a while that it probably is. I wear it. I wear a tie when I go to a wedding. In the in the unlikely event I have to go to court, and that's about it. Uh, Easter. I'll wear a tie at Easter when I go to church. Yeah, I, I never wear a tie. Yeah. And and so I thought this was interesting because I go I go in and I start reading the article and they talk about how people at least once a decade for the last hundred years, at some point there has been an article in Esquire or in some 
publication that knows what they're talking about as it applies to men's fashion has always come out with an article at some point saying the necktie's dead, the necktie's dead. And it talks about, you know, coming home from the First and Second World War in each of those cases, men's fashion has gotten progressively more casual. And we have just sort of through the ages, we've slowly gotten more and more casual. And they're talking about how, you know, five years ago would have told you it'd take a major cultural revolution to fully and effectively kill off the tie. And then we have something like COVID where, you know, I'm not wearing a tie on you know, a conference call. You know, I don't care if I'm having a conference call with the president of the United States. I'm not putting a tie on for, for a Zoom meeting. You don't do the Zoom meeting where you just put on the coat and the tie and the jacket with no pants on? Well, no, I'll do. Well, so, so that's what's so f- interesting to me is, is I do love ties. I, I've got several and I like how it works, you know, playing with things. But if you see me dressing up for anything that isn't a wedding or a court date, I'll still wear a jacket. And sometimes I'll even wear a full suit with a really nice shirt with no tie. And in fact, one of the, and this was kind of a, this was a huge moment if you follow this sort of thing, which I know you don't, but during the Olympics, one of the Canadian broadcasters was on TV with with a fully tailored three-piece suit, cufflinks, like really nice shoes, belt, no tie. And it was just, it was really weird to see usually three-piece suit and cufflinks, that's automatic tie territory. Like, you don't wear that kind of shirt without a tie. It doesn't happen. So it was really weird. But obviously, these people are dressed by high-paid fashion people who know these sorts of things. So it looks like the necktie, necktie may effectively be dead. Is there a physical function that the tie fulfilled that we don't know, that I don't know about. You know, cowboy boots are set up to be cowboy boots so that if you fall off your horse, you don't get hung up in the stirrups and get drugged 20 miles. Right. Um, every, you know, so much fashion stuff actually has a grounding in function. So ties originally were a way to protect a shirt. And so with, if you think of the cost of laundry and the cost of materials to replace, a shirt is much more expensive than a tie. But then it became a, a way to showcase your personality and your status. So ties started becoming made of more and more exclusive fabrics. Then you had silks and you had, now you can even get silks with gold threads run through them and things like that. And it, it, it has kind of become a status symbol. And one of the people in this article actually talked about that, about how ties will never effectively go away completely, but what they will go back to is becoming a status symbol. Only the CEOs and the people who have to wear them will, and they'll do it by choice because it shows people where they are. So is it a rich man, poor man doesn't have to wear a tie? The poorest guy doesn't have to wear a tie, and the richest guy in the company doesn't have to wear a tie? Usually, yeah, and that's what's that's what's so interesting. You know, we, we've talked about it before, I think, on the show, about the guy who shows up everywhere dressed like a million bucks probably doesn't have it. The guy who has a million bucks is walking up here in his cargo shorts and his Crocs. And it's just because when you reach a certain point, and if you did so honestly and you're happy with, if, you, if you're if you satisfied with the station you've achieved in your life, you don't have to prove yourself to anybody. Speaking of which, so we have a gathering of doctors and lawyers, or judges and lawyers are in here tonight. So, CigarCast regular guest, Jay Drescher, have you noticed his social interaction here? It's really cool. 
he cuts a few from the herd. He doesn't go to the main group and try to compete with the judges and everybody like that for conversation. Just slinks in. Yeah, you notice he's just cutting a few from the herd and bringing them over to his side and talking to them. And have you noticed that at least a couple of the ones that I know are judges are the ones dressed the most casually? Right, have, have the least need for a tie. Exactly. And I just, but anyway, so the reason I brought this up was because I was thinking about other things that are, are nearing obsolescence. And I was kind of wondering if cigars, you know, are, are about to fall into that category. You know, when you think about people who smoke cigars, you often think about the kind of people who wear ties. Like, it, it's intrinsically, for most people, when you think of a cigar smoker, you think of the Monopoly man or, or some, you know, facsimile thereof. And I'm wondering if cigars are headed that I mean, with everything the FDA is trying to get, trying to do to kill the hobby and to make it an underground thing, and the way, you know, most young folks aren't picking up the hobby, um, I'm wondering if we're headed towards a point of obsolescence with cigars. I don't think so because good ideals are good ideals regardless of the whims of, for, of style. And nothing will ever replace the unit of time that is a cigar. Right. The let's have a cigar and talk about it is irreplaceable. What else can you do that is a unit of time? It's true. I mean, in in the U.K., they use beer that way. But we don't really have... So in the U.K., you don't buy a beer, you buy a round. And so if you go out with eight folks, you can usually pretty much guess you're going to have eight drinks because it just kind of goes in a circle. You buy this round, they buy the next one, someone buys it. And so it becomes a communal experience, and it becomes a unit of time in that regard. So, if you okay, if you're in that group, do you try to get in the middle of the group so maybe you can duck out at six, or do you try to get at the end of the group where you can wrap it up? or But then you run the risk of the... The Alpha by volunteering another. Is there a social protocol I'm interested in? John C. McGinley, one of my favorite actors, says it best. Fast money makes fast friends. Don't ever hold on to a debt. So if I'm that guy, I'm buying the first round. You're buying the first There's round. There's no question about it. I've paid my social due. Whenever I, So if I feel like getting two beers for the price of my round, or if I feel like getting four beers or six beers for the price of my round, or whatever I would be drinking in this case, then that's up to me. But no one can say that I welched out. Well, and it also gives you a certain amount of control, because then when if you do stay till the end of the eighth round... Then you have the option of restarting the process or not. And all. I, could, I could see why buying early would definitely be a benefit in that scenario. And also, that's it. That's, it's, it's very, very interesting to think about social dynamics of how that works in groups and everybody comes together like that. Very interesting. But speaking of social dynamics, let's step away from the break work a complex algebraic equation and see how big a U-Haul truck is. And when we come back, we want to talk about um, Jeremy Piven yep. improving tray right. <laughs> I and wonder all, when that happens. And also things that bring you joy. We'll be back.
Welcome back to the Cigar Cast. This is one of your hosts, Shane, sitting across from Trey. You can find him on Tinder under the name Spence Kovac. <laughs> this is the f- we've been doing this show for four and a half years. This is the first time I've ever fed my own bump joke. Your own bump joke. So Shane teased it at the at the end of the last segment that we were going to be talking about Jeremy Piven. So of course, leading into this article that we're <laughs> I'm trying to overcome the background noise. Okay, well, you're blowing my eardrums out. All right, well, I can't hear it, but that's not surprising. So we were going back through Jeremy Piven's IMDb page, and I was trying to remember. I knew I knew him from some stuff, and and I was just kind of going back. And so far as I know, he is the only person to have ever played the same character across multiple sitcoms to the extent that he has this, and we're not talking about main characters this is not Frasier from Cheers and then Frasier from Frasier this is um, he played this one character Spence Kovac on the Dana Carvey show the Drew Carey show Grace Under Fire Coach Ellen and one and something else I, I mean it's just I've never heard of a character that a, a character that was so consistent uh, I guess there's a connected universe there but, yeah, it's, you know, in a Burn Notice, Bruce Campbell's character always had the same alias he used. And I thought, that's very handy because you never forget your alias. And all it was Chuck something or other. I can't remember Until the... Until you get burned. Well, no, but he wasn't a spy anyway. He was just a, a random guy. Gotcha. And all, he was a former Navy SEAL and all that. Oh, Jay just cut another one from the herd. Wow, that was smooth, man. You should have seen that. He walked up and shook the guy's hand and almost led, almost led him away. That's pretty, that's pretty slick. We're going to have to compliment Jay on his, his lassoing skills at some point because he, he just cut him another from the herd. That's funny. But anyway, back to the article. Yeah. Um, so Jeremy Piven and Don Giolito are creating a cigar together, and it's called the Pivro Busto. And also, um, he Jeremy Piven, best known for Ari Gold on Honorage. I've never watched Honorage. I, me neither. But I've always been a big fan of Piven because he shows up in little pockets. And he's just a great character actor that you don't recognize until he steps out of the background. And I think... I think we're losing some of that. You know, we were talking ahead of the show about Brian Dennehy and a couple of these other really great character actors from our youth that you recognize their face but maybe not their name. And I feel like, at least until he took the lead in Entourage, Piven was one of those as well. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, uh, modern-day Walter Goggins. Walter Mm -hmm. Goggins great in whatever he does and he has such a wide range you know he's in sons of anarchy he played a transgender person all the way to justified he was the main villain all the way down you know he has such a great range and i think it's under range is underrated in actors i think so and uh but jeremy piven he's teaming up with giolito and to create and that's the owner of illusione cigars right that's a solid pick, man. That is a solid partnership. I mean, if if I could choose, if I could choose to go into business with any manufacturer in that humidor, they'd be pretty close to the top of the list. Yeah, you know, obviously, if they said, "Okay, Shane, blank check, we want to make a cigar cast cigar," who do you want to make it? And I'll 
if I padrone. But knowing that that's probably out of reach, you kind of got to you kind of got to knock the Fuentes and the Padrones, possibly the Perdomos. You've got, you've got to you've, we've got to look inwardly and say we're not quite there. Well, no, not even that. My autobiography is going to be called "The Benefits of Being an Egomaniac." I never have that thought. That thought never crosses my mind. But <laughs> that says something about the difference in the two of us. Um, but the if you had to pick a boutique cigar yeah. company to make the cigar cast cigar Luciano would make top of that list yeah. be especially there. if it has to be if we both have to turn our submarine keys right because I, I think I would pick Romacraft and you'd probably pick Drew Estate it, like as both of our individual number ones but I think both our number twos would be Illusione I, w- I would be more likely to pick a Miami than Drew Estate yeah just because the the Drew Estate great cigars don't get me wrong. And I would like Willie Herrera to blend my cigar, by all means. But the fan base of Drew Estate could be a little obnoxious. See, it's. I was reading an article just this week about um, fan bases that ruin their product. You know, like Rick and Morty, uh, the TV show, is a perfect example of, like, I'm sure it's a great show, but I will not watch it just because of the fan base. You need to watch it. I love Rick and Morty. I've watched every... By the way, hey, HBO Max, what am I paying you people for? Get season five Rick and Morty on there today. But I've watched all four seasons twice, just finished up this week. Love Rick and Morty. Absolutely a great show. You brought up System of a Down last week. That's another one. Like, I love System of a Down. But it's hard to admit that because of their fan base. Although it's less so now because we're all 40. But Well, one of the, you know, one of the interesting books that my pastor had read was, Lord, Please Protect Me From Your Followers. <laughs> and, yeah. I, and I think there's a, that's, that's kind of what you're talking about. Yeah. It all is some, sometimes the fan base. So when you're choosing this company, you do kind of have to take that. I do think I would... I'd probably look at a Miami cigar, maybe a Kristoff. Yeah, I'm not a huge Kristoff fan. I I'm, I love what Kristoff is capable of. I haven't loved what they've done lately, if that makes sense. Uh, I used to smoke a ton of Kristoff. Well, you know, if they, if just out of nowhere, um, certain cigar companies called and said, hey, so we want to make the Cigar Cast cigar. If Illusione called, that's the one you and I would both just say yes. Yeah, I don't even have to talk to the other person. Yeah. Yes. Yes, absolutely. If Aromacraft calls, or especially a Foundation cigar calls, you kind of had to make a phone call. Hey, Shane, right. what do you think? Yeah. You know. Crowned heads, I know to just say no. Yeah. So, so I'd love it, but I know I wouldn't do that to you. And uh, but so Piven is starting this. It's going to be a five by fifty-two, little small. Uh, tobaccos are going to be grown on the Aganorsa Leaf Factory, which we know is a good is a good place to start. Yeah, and he's just going. It's going to retail for. So here's my problem. Here's what worries me: five by fifty-two, fourteen ninety-five. It's a little steep. Yeah, but if you look at Illusione's portfolio. It's really not that far outside of what they're already doing. It's not like, yes, it's an expensive cigar, but for them, it's maybe, it's right there with their already highest end line and maybe even a little less. Well, I wouldn't call, so do you call, does Jeremy Piven considered an A-list celebrity or is he B minus? He would probably not like me saying this, but I'd say he's probably B-list. Probably B-list. So if you're a B-list celebrity launching a cigar, 
you kind of want to put a little cigar value in there, and this does not kind of fit that. But if you're if if that's your aim, I don't think you go with Illusione. True. I, I definitely can get behind that. And if he is, again, neither one of us really watched Entourage, but I know enough about the show to know that there was a, if, if he is appealing somewhat to his audience in this, then then the price point's right. Right. But be interesting. I'll smoke one. Yeah, I'll, I absolutely will. I'll drop an extra couple of pennies to see. And it's funny. We were just talking about things we don't like about cigars. I'm, I've got to say, this, this kind of... this. This is a, a minor little thing, but it bugs me more than it should. So on the wrapper, on the label to the Blackbird here, it's just a, a solid uh, cylinder wrapped right long, you know, two inches long. I go to peel it off, and they've got this little decorative Blackbird up at the top that I can't... Why would you do that? Look at mine. I've got the... But now... At I'll, least that's in the middle, not right at the glue point. Yeah. But now I will say the one thing this Chico did do well is you notice the longest part of the wrapper is toward the foot of the cigar. Yeah, it's not going to catch a blaze. I'm, I'm not going to burn her head off before yeah. I realize that I that I needed to take the label off this cigar. Which, by the way, let's talk about our cigars for a second. Unfortunately, it's kind of meeting my expectations in so much as if I picked this up at a gas station, I would say, okay, that's decent gas station cigar. Yeah. Picking it up in a premium lounge, not, not really up to snuff for, for the premium cigar experience. How much of that do you think you colored of that just based on the wrapper and kind of your opinion leading into that? There's probably a little of that. I'm probably I, I'm I'm definitely mature enough to say that may not be being totally fair. Well, it, it probably just had a little bit harder to work uphill to get over that for you. Yeah. Not to say that you completely discounted it. But it could have impressed me. Yeah. I would have been very happy if it had impressed me. So I'm, I'm having a little bit of a hard time keeping this thing lit, which is surprising me. It was great. The first inch was awesome and now it's kind of doing this weird there's a hole developing. And it's kind of going all crooked on me. I haven't had a bad burn, an uneven burn in a long time. Well, and I'll tell you, I found out that most of my uneven burns is my fault. If I get a cigar start burning unevenly, I make myself slow down. Well, but that's, I mean, look, I'm not even halfway, we're two-thirds of the way through the show, and I'm not even halfway through my cigar. And because I'm the first to admit that most, most uneven burn issues are caused by the smoker almost all the time. There have been a couple of exceptions, and considering how long it's been since I've had an issue with this, I'm inclined to say it's the cigar. Could it be the cut you put on it that you put that lopsided wonky cut? Barely. It's it's three degrees off flat. <laughs> no, you, so you're supposed to cut above the shoulder. You cut from shoulder to armpit. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's still a quarter inch of wrapper all the way, or of, of cap all the way around. <laughs> Uh, it's getting thin toward that short side. I wouldn't give it a quarter inch. <laughs> but anyway, so coming back to our topic, I, I was thinking. Okay. I was thinking about this topic today because it is easy to complain in life. And the cigar cast has always been about bringing joy. Yeah. And I want to think about things. So I hate when people crawl up on their high horse and say, Stuff doesn't make me happy. What makes me happy is the tears in a small child's eyes or the the love of a 
of a good woman or something. I, I, there's only so you much. You should have thought that through a little more before well, you started saying there, it on There's only air. so much of that crap I can take. Yeah. Well, okay, stuff can make you happy, and it's perfectly okay to be happy with some stuff. Well, we've talked about this before. You know, true fulfillment and joy comes from within, not from without. However, there are some things that we can do to uh, using outside influences or material objects or whatever that enhances that joy that we already have. Well, and it's interesting. There's even degrees to this because I was talking about this with the guys before you got here doing a little man-on-the-street research into this topic to make this segment a little beefier. And when I said, what stuff do you have that makes you happy? The first question is, okay, makes me happy or is irreplaceable or if the house was on fire, this is what I would grab before I got, after I got the wife and the dog out. And also there's degrees. And I'm just, I don't want to get that lofty. Let's just stuff that makes you happy. Yeah, it's the, it's the Marie Kondo thing. It's just do, whether or not it sparks joy. And I, I like I like the fact that you talked about, like, the little things. Because it's not, you know, having a roof over my house certainly makes me happy. But what really makes me happy is my cast iron Dutch oven and all of my cast iron cookware. I cook like a, I love to cook. And having good tools that require a certain amount of skill just to use, for me... It, it's just, it's such a sense of accomplishment because that's where, for me, you know, we're kind of talking about, you know, money, you know, things don't bring happiness. But the, what I get out of this is the sense of accomplishment from a job well done, whether it's a, you know, cast iron skillet cobbler or, oh, well, sorry, I just remembered something on my to-do list for there, this week. Well, there's even a little bit of joy in the caretaking of that stuff. You know, once a year before deer season, I turn the lights down low, I light a few candles, and I clean Matilda, my prize 30 out 6 I put on a little Barry White. Get, a lot, get nice and lubed up. <laughs> get nice and lubed up. Get out the frog lube is actually the lube that I use on Matilda. And, I'll, and I clean my gun from top to bottom and all so that it's perfect because Matilda is one of those things that when I put my hands on it, it instantly brings me joy. Mm-hmm. And I'll, my, my knife from Alaska... My whale jawbone handled knife from Alaska that I used to skin deer. Cleaning that, sharpening that, feeling that, being sure everything's, you know, checking and oiling the case. It just, it brings me joy. That's stuff that brings me joy. And they're little things. You know, the gun, well, the gun's worth quite a bit because it's such a rare gun, but the the knife is worth a lot more to me than it is than it would be on the open market. Right. You know, um, we were talking before the show, I was talking to somebody else, and they were talking about stuff that they had had stolen. You know, one of the guys here, he had his Eagle Scout sash that had all of his belts, had all of his badges. Uh, badges on it, and he had given it to his daughter. And somebody walked by and stole the bag that had it in it out of the back of her Jeep. And he said, it just crushed me. Yeah. He said, it was just crushing. And, I, and to that guy... It meant nothing. It ended up in a dumpster somewhere. If that, probably in a storm drain. Yeah. But it was, it's, you know, so little things. I'm going to talk about just little things that make you happy. One of the new little things I got this week that made me happy, blue jean jogging pants. So on Saturdays, we do the college football games. 
And last year I learned the joys of wearing a jogging outfit to the college football game. And all because we're in case they put you in in the third quarter. <laughs> no, we're just eat, we're eating, and you know you need a little more room. You hate to let you belt out, and you're late. You're sitting around, and you, as the game progresses, you tend to slouch a little further. Yeah. You get a couple of good cigars and some good bourbon in you, and you kind of really start chilling out. And chilling out clothes is not blue jeans and a polo shirt, right? At all. So I found a company that makes jogging pants, and it's funny. This came from a wrestler, the wrestler Orange Cassidy. He comes out, and I see him come out, and I said, he's wrestling in blue jeans. How is he backflipping off the top rope wearing blue jeans? And then one night I see drawstring on the blue jeans. I said, son of a gun, that intelligent son of a gun has got blue jeans that look just like jogging pants. So I rushed to the Internet, and I, and I ordered two pairs. So this Saturday at the football game, I'll be looking like I'm wearing blue jeans but actually wearing jogging pants. That's that's pretty good. I, can, I get a lot of – I definitely get a lot of joy out of – well-fitting, comfortable clothes. Um, there's just there's just nothing better. Yeah, it's it's almost like comfort food. Yeah, it's it's almost it's in that same genre of stuff that just makes you feel feel fun and feel good to enjoy. And I'll, well, it's I'll, funny you say comfort food because as I mentioned yesterday, I was under the weather and, and I, I I skipped lunch. And so it gets to be about five o'clock, and now I'm I'm feeling better, appetite's back, and all I can think about is I want something hearty and satisfying, and I that's just it that's what you go for. So I had a uh, Five Guys cheeseburger and fries. Oh, it was oh, wonderful. You know, Five Guys is the value is out the window at Five Guys. They're so ridiculously expensive for a burger, but it's, but it's so, so good. good. It is. And all their their value is not there, but their product is top notch. Right. And all something else that makes me really happy, I just bought it this weekend, a new Blackstone griddle, the cast iron griddle. Have you used it yet? No, I've got to season it and get it ready. But I I just see myself because my ideal day is get up in the morning, go hunting, come back, eat a big breakfast, have a long nap be back in the deer stand by 2.30 and hunt the evening. Yeah. And this griddle out there in the woods, throwing a couple of pieces of bacon and some eggs on, on there, cooking a few pancakes. My Kevin. dad has one that we take camping, and it's it's awesome. I mean, it's not the Blackstone brand. It's, it's camp stove, but same thing. And there's just nothing better than food kick cooked on a flat-top griddle. Oh, yeah. You know, I've, I've used them for years at our, camp, our annual camping trip. One of the other guys has one and all, and it's great because you come in, it's 11 o'clock, you've been fishing all morning, and we cook breakfast and all, and you have that big breakfast with the bacon and the eggs and the pancakes and pancakes on a griddle. My biggest problem with pancakes on a griddle, I get them too big. Yeah. And all, they end up, you know, kind of laying. you just pour them out? Yeah, they end up kind of laying over the edge of the plate. Yeah, you've you got to get a a half cup scoop and just scoop them out. There's there's no shame. This is this is one of those kind of we talk about what it means to be a man, you know, a lot on this show. And this is one of those things. If I can teach anybody, it is not an insult to. And I'm not talking to you necessarily, but it's not an insult to your masculinity to use measuring spoons or thermometers. 
when you're cooking. Oh, absolutely. But I feel like I, 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 I don't want to get in trouble, so I won't say who, but there is somebody in my life that I have never cooked a meal or I've never eaten a meal that they have cooked that has been cooked through. So it was to the point that for Christmas last year, it was like, here's an instant read thermometer. Use it. Well, and the worst, you know, almost as bad of that is, like, my mom will cook something. It'll be amazing. And I'll say, what's the recipe? Well, it's it's flour and chocolate and sugar. Okay, how much of each? Ah. <laughs> recipe is a suggestion when you're cooking. It's instructions when you're baking. Right. It's not a feel. Right. And, but I am just as guilty as that. I had uh, surgery at the beginning of the year and was laid up for a couple of days. And my wife wanted to do something really nice for me. And so was going to make chicken and dumplings, which she absolutely hates. It's her least favorite food on the planet. And it's one of my favorites. So I pretty much only make it for myself when she's out of town. But she wanted to do something nice for me. And she's like, how do you make your chicken and dumplings? Uh, it's tough. So here I am, like, half out of it from surgery still, trying to, like, give her a grocery list and tell her basically how to put it together. And it was it was not mine. It was good. and But it was just like I couldn't. So that's one of those things that I'm working on this year of, of putting my recipes that are up here on paper somewhere. Well, one of the things that will be put into law when I become supreme dictator, if you put celery and or carrots in your chicken and dumplings, that's punishable by death. No, it's not. Absolutely. But I'll, but I'll tell you exactly how you have to do it. It's called mirepoix. And it's, it's the base for all French cooking. You take an onion, two or three stalks of celery, sliced way fat thin, and carrots done the exact same way. Just cook, like cut so small that you can see through them. And then you cook them down till they're a shadow of their former selves, like to the point that they're almost sticking to the bottom of the pan burnt. And then as you're stirring the rest of the stuff together, it breaks apart and just becomes filler and flavor, but you don't get the texture. Almost a root. Yeah. Um, and in fact, once I get it to where it's everything see-through and about to burn, that's when I throw my flour on there and create the roux that way. And because you stir it so vigorously and so hard, it does. It completely turns it to mush so you don't have vegetables floating in your chicken dumplings, and that's how to do it. I can allow, but I still I, I like the flavor of just straight chicken and dumplings. It's simple. Chicken broth, dumplings, chicken Salt and lots of pepper. That is, I, I like the simplicity of it. I don't need the little sweet hints of carrot and the bite of celery and the onion. I don't need all that stuff. But it does. It brightens it. Uh, and it we're going way off the rails. It's it's like the, the Julia Child presents the cigar cast this week. But it is. No, try it next time, or or next time I make some, I'll share it with you. How about that? Um, one of the things that the, the little things that brings me so much joy, and this kind of goes to what you were talking about with Matilda's. It's not just the thing, but it's the time you spend with it. It's my bicycle or any bicycle. I absolutely like. You know, some women have to worry about their their husbands turning their head when they walk past a beautiful woman on the road. No, but if a beautiful bike walk like rides by, I'm turning every time. Riding a bike I, is just gives me more joy than I can 
think of. But then on top of that, you get to wash it and you clean it and you do maintenance and you fiddle with it to get it perfect. And it's just, and you interchange parts and you're constantly improving it and yourself. And it's just, it's, it's very zen. Well, and is that not somewhat of what it's about? You know, having a sharp knife and a well-oiled gun in the deer stand um, is just invaluable. Yeah. Having a bicycle that the brakes work, that the chain don't jump off and catch your pants leg. And I, I, was, I was doing a triathlon a couple of years ago, and I woke up late, misjudged how long it was going to take me to get there, and showed up five minutes before transition closes. So Reader's Digest version, if you've never done a triathlon, there's a certain window of time in the morning before the race starts where you're allowed to go into the transition area where you put your bike, where you get your bike and put all your gear on after you get out of the swim and then where you put it back and put your running shoes on to go out to the run. Well, before the, the race starts, they close transition so that there aren't people milling around while people are trying to run in and out to do their race. And so they usually close it down about 15 minutes before the race starts. And I get there with less than five minutes before they shut down transition. So I didn't get to do all of my pre-race checks and things like that. And so I get out on the bike course. And every time I go uphill, I hear... I just, I didn't have my front derailleur dialed in. And it was the most miserable. It's, it's 20 some odd miles on a bike. And every time I go to pedal hard, I hear that chain grinding. Again. Oh, it was miserable. Yeah, there's there's a lot of that in all. And, but there's also, as with everything in life, there's balance. You don't want your stuff to own you. Right. You know, my uncle, one of my uncles bought his dream motorcycle down in Florida. And then decided he couldn't ride it because he was getting too much sand flashing up on the fenders and scratching the fenders. You don't want your stuff to own you. You want to find the balance. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine today, and he sent me a video of this guy with a security cam in his garage looking down at his Aventador, his Lamborghini. And the video is of his, what I'm going to guess is probably four-year-old son, crawling up the hood (laughs) and then onto the roof and then sliding down like it's made by (laughs) (laughs) Fisher-Price. And the caption in the video was, what do you do? Well, you beat him. <laughs> and and no, is it, it because I don't care if it is a Lamborghini. I don't care. It's still just a car. I had. I don't know if I've told it on this show before, but one of the when I'm speaking at my father's funeral, I already know the story I'm going to tell because it perfectly encapsulates the kind of man, the kind of dad he was, and it's something that I think about almost every day. When I was in high school, I was probably 15 or so. And he had a relatively new-to-him motorcycle. He and my mom both had one. Hers rode a little lower, and even at 15, I could move it around to get stuff out of the garage. I didn't usually move his around because it was never in my way for the stuff that was in there. One day, I've got a buddy over, and we go to get something out of the garage, and so I'm attempting to maneuver his motorcycle and drop it, lay it over on his side in the garage, mortified. And he walks out, 
and, and and I immediately, unlike most kids at that age, I immediately go tell him. I sure. Said, I said, this is, I dropped it. I was trying to move it. And he comes out. He goes, okay, help me lift it up. We lift it up. He goes, where were you trying to move it to? And I said, here, so I can do this. He goes, okay, why were you trying to move it? This is what we were trying to do. Okay. And that was the end of it because it's stuff. Sure. And that that experience, that one interaction with him has colored my entire life from that point. So, um, so yeah, you can't let your stuff own you. Right. Yeah, you have to be, you have to have a certain level of that. There's a, you know, things should bring you joy, but the things should not detract from your joy with others. Yeah, well, that's, that's why I don't really get into video games. Because I feel like video games are one of those things that tend to own you. I, I've, I, I know very few people who have a healthy relationship with video games. You know, typically it's the people that spend, they lose hours of their day because they get sucked in. And that to me is, no matter how much joy you can you get out of something like that, it, it's, it's mired by the fact that, or marred by the fact that it's taking away from your enjoyment of your well, life with others. One of the reasons I quit World of Warcraft was I looked at the time played counter. And I'm like, of all the things I could have been doing with this amount of time, I chose to do this. And I knew it was time to quit. Yeah. And I knew that was, you know, and we always talk about um, one of the worst things you can do is look at how much money you spend on cigars. Right. Or look at how much per pound you're paying for deer meat. Or look at how much... <laughs> yeah, I did that to you one day. Yeah. Or look at how much per, you know, how much per mile you're paying to ride your bicycle. And uh, when you start looking at the... When you start counting the cost, you start decreasing the joy. Right. And uh, so there is, there is some of that and all uh, that has to be brought into it. So, well, let's wrap it up. And uh, so the Chico, it's a four, four and a half at the best day. I'll, get, I'll tell you what, I'll give it a four and a half because I came out predispositioned. If, All right. If you'd handed this to me with no label, I'd like to think I'd smoke it and say it was a four. Yeah. And I'll, But I probably wouldn't say that to you because you gave it to me. Right. But if I was being 100% intellectually honest, that's probably what I would do. I'm going to go five on mine. It's, it's perfectly fine. But at just shy of $10, I think. It's not really doing a whole lot for me, and I'm having to fight it to keep it lit. Because I think you can see now at this point, this is not my fault. Like right. I'm, I'm slowing down. I'm speeding up. I'm doing everything I can. I cannot keep the thing lit. So Yeah, and mine's developing a crooked burn, and it's not because I'm smoking too fast. Right. You're not enjoying it enough to want to smoke no. it that fast. But anyway, so how, how did they get hold of us, Trey? You can reach us at Facebook.com slash The Cigar Cast, Instagram and Twitter at The Cigar Cast, and email info at thecigarcast.com. Well, thank you everybody for listening this week. Until next week, have a great cigar and think well of us.